May the Force be with you. Part 3 on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny, and I've been coming to you every week with culturally relevant topics, uh, the things that uh, really drive us as a culture uh, and as a Christian culture, and the role that we play as Christians in the culture. Uh, This is a uh, third part of a series entitled May the Force Be With You. Uh, It's not uh, the force from the Star Wars world. Uh, It is a Wilbur force. And uh, it's such an important person historically, uh, but also I believe that his life uh, and the legacy that he led is timeless and so important for us to lean into and to gather. Um, it's, It's always humbling and maybe even a little concerning when you are releasing something so personally important to you because you're never sure whether the audience is going to think it's as important as you do. So I'm asking you just uh, because of of our time together that you would just lean into this topic again today because I believe it is rich and full. In fact, in fact, the topic today I believe is actually the one of the most surprisingly surprising thing that I learned about William Wilberforce and how his light life and what his impact uh, was on the culture of the times, how that directly relates to where we are living today. I've said a couple times that it's eerily similar. Uh, to, uh, even though we are hundreds of years later, to what he was experiencing, to what we are experiencing today. Uh, Just a quick word about vaccines. Uh, They have been going strong, and I would like to report that they're working. Uh, They're opening it up to ages 12 to 16 soon, I believe, probably within this week. Uh, We probably will see that um, uh, restrictions lifted uh, from an age standpoint. We're also seeing in Minnesota on May 28th, I think there are going to be some serious changes to some of the gathering restrictions, which will be great. Those will be opening up. And I heard that July 1st is the end of the mask mandate. Uh, most Republicans in the state of Minnesota are, excuse the expression, pushing back, thinking that things need to be opening up even faster than what they are. Uh, but all of this is signaling that maybe we're to the finish line-ish of what we are going through. And at least there's hope. Things seem to be shifting, and uh, I'm encouraged by what we are seeing. Uh, certainly not out of the water yet, um, but I am encouraged. So in part one, uh, two weeks ago, I, I began this series called May the Force Be With You, uh, examining the life and times of William Wilberforce. Uh, he uh, was referred to by many as the greatest reformer in history. And yet I'm not so sure how many people know very much about him. Uh, he's been accused of saving the soul of the nation. He was an incredibly influential, important man in the abolition of the slave trade. And if you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, I, I maybe haven't mentioned that in the last couple episodes, I would encourage you to, 
to get it, uh, to watch it with your family. Uh, it's inspiring. It's important. And it really was what spurred me on into this journey that I'm on right now. And as with the last couple of weeks, I get emotional with this topic because I believe that it's so critical to where we're living today. And I believe the life of William Wilberforce um, maybe even was a prophetic announcement of of a pathway, a way to influence society in one lifetime. And that's my heart. That's the heart of this podcast. I, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't feel like we could actually create some kind of real impact in our region, in our states, in our nation, and across the world. I really believe that. That's not just some trite um, speaking point that I want to make. This is what I feel passionately about. And I just want you, my listener, to feel the same passion. I think it's so important. So we introduced him uh, and and a an article by Gracie Olmsted that was written in 2018 from the Gospel Coalition um, stating that the world needs more Wilberforces. And it's been sort of a life-changing article that I've read that's inspired me, that caused me to weep, that caused me to rise up and 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 start this series as well as uh, the trajectory of my life and things that we're pointing towards. Um, so last week, I started talking about the man, the man William Wilberforce himself, and what it may, quote-unquote, require of us uh, to stand in that position of reformation. It's not for the weak-hearted, certainly. And I, I made the main point last week that in order to reform, you need to be reformed. And that was the testimony of William Wilberforce was a radical transformation with the face of God. And it changed everything about him, and it changed what he was called to and carried to. And called to was also something I emphasized last week. Anything that we do, any exploit that we do for his kingdom, whether small or great, it requires a calling. It requires his voice activating us. Otherwise, we do it on our own strength. And anybody who's listening knows that when we do things on our own strength, it usually doesn't bear nearly as much fruit. He was a man who was surrounded and he was supported. He was likable and he was influential. He was persistent and he was patient. And these were key considerations, key character qualities or traits that was needed to carry something so profound in nature. Well, in part three today, I want to talk really more about strategy. I told you last week, I promised you last week that I would, because I believe that his life was a strategic platform for us to follow. And he had some key points I'm using as a reference and will quote many times during this podcast and others uh, from the book entitled William Wilberforce, A Hero for Humanity by Kevin Bel Belmont. It was a, a well-written um, biography of the life of William Wilberforce. And, and what I'm going to talk about today is actually something that surprised me. I didn't know this about him. It wasn't it was maybe touched on very briefly in the movie, um, but he went into great detail in the book because it was such a significant historical piece in who William Wilberforce was and what he ended up accomplishing. We mentioned before, and I'll say it again, and you'll hear this a hundred times on my podcast, that you can't legislate morality. In, in, in his book, William Wilberforce, I quote William Wilberforce saying, Politics should not, he believed, 
shape the culture. The culture should shape politics. Maybe now you understand why I'm so connected to this man, because you've heard me say this many times, that we go to set and shape the culture. It's our responsibility as ambassadors of heaven to actually be the culture setters, the apostolic environment that is supposed to be released on this earth. And we can't look to our politicians as the legislators to try to change behavior. It needs to go the other way. We, we have behavior and politics actually respond. And believe me, they're watching behavior closely. They're, they are, are poll junkies because they want to know the hearts of the people because they often pivot, whether right or wrong, they pivot towards the, the electorate. And it's frustrating, but it also should be somewhat encouraging because we as the electorate then have power. This is the way democracy is supposed to work. But we can't legislate morality. I'm quoting Gracie Olmsted again in her uh, article that I shared a couple weeks ago. I'm going to repeat this again because I believe this really serves as the outline or the platform or the introduction to what I want to talk about today. She writes, it's important to note that faced with the passivity or antagonism of the powerful and influential, Wilberforce and his allies didn't content themselves with advancing a political agenda. They focused on the cultural, social, and ideological mores that allowed slavery to exist in the first place. It's so critical. Indeed, the abolitionists turn themselves passionately and primarily to public awareness, cultural causes, and grassroots campaigns. She goes on to write, Before Wilberforce ever petitioned Parliament for the abolition of the slave trade, his compatriots had begun working on the hearts and minds of the British people. They knew this was where the battle must begin. This is where they knew the battle must begin. My friends, this is the beginning of the strategy, and it's a surprising strategy because it had nothing to do with slavery per se. It had to do with the hearts and the minds of the people and the culture that would have allowed slavery to take place in the first place. Wilberforce realized that attempts at political reform without changing the hearts and minds of people at the same time were futile. I feel like over the last 50 years, as we've been seeing this abortion issue, uh, the, what I call the greatest civil rights issue of our generation, I, I see futility. I often see that. And so could it be possible that we're trying to, to enact political reform, we're trying to, to touch this from a political standpoint, when it's not the politicians, it's not legislation that's going to change, it needs to be the hearts of the people that will change, which will change politicians, which will change legislation. Wilberforce knew it 250 years ago. He understood it. He knew that this was key. And I didn't realize that too much about his life. But it wrote in the book, Wilberforce had undergone his great change. We talked last week about his great change is what he called it. The, the overwhelming experience of his heavenly father and the change that it created within his heart. And with it, it, and with it his motivation to abolish slavery returned. He wrote, God Almighty has placed before me two great objects. The suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners, 
That is morals. Kind of blew me away. I'm like, really? We think about slave trade and, and, and he put these on equal platform as manners and morality. Says from that time forward, he would pursue these objects with remarkable determination. I feel like that's kind of the understatement of the year. The reformation of morals. They said he was one of the greatest reformers in history because of his work on the slave trade. But my friends, there were two great objects that were placed before him by the Almighty God that he held one in each hand. And the reformation of morals, the second of Wilberforce's two great objects, they wrote, is not as well remembered as the first, the abolition of the slave trade. But the latter would have been impossible without the former. That's what they wrote in this book. The latter would not have been possible without the former. Really? It's almost hard to believe. But my friends, this is strategy. This is strategy. It goes on to write, Many wondered how Britain's opinion could be totally changed within one generation. That's been my question. That's what's, that's what's driven me ever since I watched the movie and read the book. It, it drives me. How can I change the opinion of a nation in my lifetime? That's the question. So I'm sorry. Many wondered how Britain's opinion could be totally changed within one generation. A major reason why legislated end to the slave trade was possible was the flowering of Wilberforce's second great object, the reformation of morals. The reformation of morals. Wilberforce once again, saw that it would be futile to pursue something as important as, as changing the hearts and minds of the people without their hearts and minds being changed from the inside. And so he actually became driven, even before he pursued the slave trade issue, to, to implement and, and, and bring to the importance and to light the, the importance of morals, of manners, of the way that we speak to each other and care for each other. The issue of profaneness. He actually went around and started with Parliament, which I love. And he went to Parliament um, with this petition, a petition for people, people to sign uh, a behavioral compact. And believe it or not, he actually didn't start with Parliament. He went straight to the king. I love this guy. He went straight to the king and said, I believe there needs to be a moral reformation in our country and they need the supreme leader, the ruler, the king of our nation to sign on to it first. And he did. He did. This man had such influence that he could go to the king himself with a sheet of paper and say, please sign this. And he did. And then the parliamentary representatives did as well. I love this quote from the book. He said he sought to make goodness fashionable among the leadership class. Oh, I want, to, I want to post that on my refrigerator and across my forehead and the dashboard of my car. To make goodness fashionable among the leadership class. He knew it had to start with the ones who were leading the people, the, people that, the ones that the people were looking to. He then pivoted and turned this very heart, this very nature, towards society and culture itself. Wilberforce and his fellow performers were salt and light in their generation, I quote, setting on foot an, an incredible array of charitable initiatives. 
their collective legacy turned around a society and a culture. That's like a huge sentence. Their collective legacy turned around a society and a culture. My friends, it's possible. It's not only possible, it's already happened. This is what we're learning from history. It happened. He injected himself and his group of followers into the societal aspects of, of their culture and brought real change. And he did it by demonstration and he did it by his own personal influence. He implemented societal reform. He went into every aspect of society. He, he, he legislated penal reform, welfare reform. Um, he even was very into the treatment of animals. They mentioned this in the movie very quickly. He, he championed child labor laws and, and, and child prostitution. My friends, nothing's changed. These are things we are still dealing with today. But he saw them as moral problems. And he injected himself into all of those. It was quoted of him that many believe that Wilberforce's real position in British society was that of minister of public charity. That's a huge thing to write about somebody. But this was the man, as we talked about last week, and then his strategy, his heart, was to actually impact society so that goodness would become fashionable. It wrote that his reputation for social justice and fair dealing moved many to seek Wilberforce's counsel and trust in his integrity. My friends, what that is called is called a platform. He created for himself in a platform. This wasn't a manipulation. This was his heart. His heart actually created him, um, allowed him to be the one that people went to for moral questions for social justice. If we want to be on the front lines of social justice, the things that are happening today, if we want to be the voice of reason, if we want to be the ones that people come to because of our integrity, then we need to pour out ourselves for others in a charitable, loving heart in all areas. Nothing to do with the slave trade for him. Nothing specifically to do with abortion for us. It has to do with our heart and our charitable heart. So people see us as charitable people. See us as a quote-unquote authority in the realm of social justice. This is key. He operated in compassion. He took care of those in poverty. My friends, on an aside issue, and we'll talk about this more next week, one of the main abortion issues is poverty. And we can strike at the heart of the culture that creates an environment that's suitable for abortion. We can strike right at that core by helping those who are impoverished, who are hurting, who are alone. It's dealing with the cultural societal issue first. He, had, he, had, he was a philanthropist. Many probably didn't know that he died a pauper. He had a substantial fortune, and he gave it all away in a spirit of charity. Wilberforce believed that true philanthropy, quote from the book, could not flourish in an immoral society. His thinking in this respect was similar to that of John Adams regarding the U.S. Constitution. It was designed for a moral citizenry and wholly unfit for any other, John Adams wrote. 
That says two things to me. Number one is that philanthropy turns us outward. Immorality turns us inward. When we talk about taking care of our fellow man, the government has had to overreach and our budget has exploded. And, and it could be, we shake our fists and say, you're overreaching. It could be the result of immorality because there's more than enough money to take care of our fellow citizens. And number two, it's probably why our constitution is under attack. Because John Adams says that it was designed for a moral citizenry and wholly unfit for any other. Could that be why our constitution is under attack? Is it a square peg in a round hole? I hope not. He dabbled in education reform. I don't have time to go into all of these things, but he didn't feel like he wanted to impose his Christian views, but he wanted to give every child the history of what their country was raised on and a choice. He, he said his purpose wasn't to commend his faith. Well, his, his purpose was to commend his faith, not command it. We have to understand even the realm of evolution. Please see my previous podcast about evolution. It creates an environment that opens ourselves up for a culture of abortion. And William Wilberforce was immovable in regards to church reform. He, he had a strong distaste for clerical apathy, he called it. My friends, the church should be on the front line. Where are our leaders? Where are our pastors in these societal roles? The church has gone through awakenings and reformations, reforming. And my friends, when reformation hit the church, it also happened outside the church. Reformation wasn't just for the church. It was for the world. So my friends, I'm going to read this again. They focused on the cultural, societal, and ideological mores that allowed slavery, or in our case, abortion, to exist in the first place. Before Wilberforce ever petitioned Parliament for the abolition of the slave trade, or before we start tackling this issue of abortion, his compatriots had begun working on the hearts and minds of the British people, or the American people in our case. They knew this was where the battle must begin. So you might be listening to these, and I hope that you're inspired, but you say, what do I do? I care about abortion. What do I do? Well, number one, in order to reform, you need to be reformed. Find that place of the Father's heart and his voice, and he will tell you what to do. Number two, love in any way you can. There is no law against love. And not specifically about abortion in any way that you can. William Wilberforce showed us the strategy. It's to implement society so that you are seen as a generous philanthropist, a charitable heart, a giver, a carer, and an authority in the realms of morality. <laughs> That's my heart for me. That's my heart for you. It's my heart for my family. And then number three, impact or reform, I like the word, the hearts and minds of the people. Your people, whatever your realm of influence is. Shake off apathy. There is a culture that allows abortion to exist. I want to figure out what that culture is, and I want to go after its root, and I want to bring impact and life in that area. It deals with the value of life the value of our life, 
our identity. We need to reform the view of life. I'm going to close with this about William Wilberforce and a few of his quotes. He said, In discharging this grateful service, Wilberforce sought to measure his progress as a Christian through what he called, quote, improvement in love to God and man, end quote. Love to man meant that he was to, quote, employ his talents for the benefit of his fellow creatures, end quote. Love to God meant that he, quote, ought to cultivate his talents and realize his potential as an act of devotion, end quote. My friends, as you use your talents and your influences, it's an act of devotion. So let's go together now to set and shape the culture. <laughs>